I remember uh, singing that song, this little light of my, (laughs) this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, Really one of my favorite ministries, the Bible Tabernacle, where I ministered to uh, ex-gangbangers and drug addicts and convicts. And here were Crips and Bloods sitting side by side, uh, once enemies singing this little light of mine. And my favorite part was uh, in only the way they could do it at the tabernacle because just the nature of who these guys were. But they would emphatically, uh, almost like rebelliously, uh, with with great conviction and charge when when the the chorus would come, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. And then they would all say, no! (laughs) It was like... You know, it's like, hide it under a bushel. And then it's just like, no, we will not allow that to happen. And, and what I loved about that ministry is just the, the earnestness. They weren't born and raised in the church. They didn't know how the song was supposed to go. They didn't know it was supposed to be, you know, cutesy, like, a, you know, for little kids or with a little twang from the Southern Baptist. All they knew were the words that they were singing and, and, and the exhortation through the words. And they were not going to allow that to happen on their watch. Their little light was going to shine. Just a, a beautiful picture. Uh, these days, we, when we think of the idea of, of our lights shining, I, I, I think of the concept of, of influencers, right? What, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, there's people like, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Selena Gomez, Kylie Jenner, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, of course, Kim Kardashian. <clears throat> and you ask yourself, well, you know, who are these people? Well, one's the, the greatest soccer player in the world, or he was, he's retirement stage now. Another one, you know, a, a, an actress, a child actress and singer. Um, another one just... Uh, People know her just because they know her, literally just because of Instagram and that kind of stuff, um, social media. And then, you know, for, for beauty, you're just, they're just, you know, beautiful. And so they're, they're well known. Well, we call those people now, we call them influencers, right? You can kick a ball, so you're an influencer. You can sing a song, you're an influencer, and the interesting thing is right now, so, so they have, you know, ways of, of figuring out how many people are following you through Instagram or Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever. And Cristiano Ronaldo has 620 million people that like are on his follow list. That, I mean, that's not even to mention how many like check in on him, right? Um, but 621 million. Putting, putting it in perspective, Taylor Swift... 250 million. I mean, that's a lot, right? And we all know how many people love Taylor Swift all around the world. 620. Uh, I mean, that's influence. As I mentioned, their pop culture creates influence. You're an actor, you're a singer, you're a, a sports athlete, you're beautiful. But now we've entered into this, this other phase, uh, the freak fest. How weird can you be? How odd can you be? How extreme can you be? How crude can you be? 
and, and we're seeing an explosion of, of the freak show. Now, remember, it used to be, you know, you'd go to the circus, right? And, and over there behind the tent was, you know, like the bearded lady or something like that. It was freaky and weird. And, you know, so you, you paid a little extra to, to see that. We, we've always had that, uh, that concept, except now the, the oddity is becoming mainstream, acceptable, okay. Thought we just had a, you know, one of the most popular movies uh, recently, a few years ago, uh, about the circus essentially, and and it's called the Greatest Showman, right? And one of the the major themes in that is, you know, what this is me. You know, all the freaks have a great song and a dance, and it's awesome and it's kitschy and all that, but it's it's proclaiming and shouting, this is me, exactly who I am, accept it, and guess what? We're here and we're in your face. Well, that's our world now. And those people are the influencers. They're the people when our, our, our kids are sneaking away in their bedrooms at 8 and 12. And I don't advocate that, by the way, but this is what's happening. That, you know, we're handing these, these portals to everything in our kids' hands. And they're going in there. And who's influencing them? Well, these freaks, the oddities, uh, people who can throw a football or hit a baseball, somehow have, have, you know, discipleship influence over your children because of the things they post. Uh, it's very scarily, very scary. Well, historically, I mean, we've had influencers, right? We, we, me growing up, it's like, hey, George Washington, great general. Right. I mean, he, he created America by defeating the Brits and became our first president. Thomas Jefferson, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence, you know, laying out the the the, you know, the American Constitution, those kinds of things. Abraham Lincoln, you know, uniting the country when the country was ripped apart, you know, freeing the slaves. Thomas Edison, I mean, we have lights and electricity because of his innovation. You know, Rockefeller, Carnegie, I mean, we can go on and on and on. And these used to be the people, people that we uh, aspired or, or, or respected and had influence. And maybe they would go speak and you would want to hear about them. You'd want to hear about the 10,000 times it took Thomas Edison to fail before he finally succeeded. And we'd walk away with that encouragement. Spiritually, we've had amazing influencers uh, in the Christian world, you know, every, anybody remember, you know, this guy named Martin Luther, you know, the, the, the Reformation, and, and he influenced the world and changed the trajectory of Christianity by going back to the Bible instead of towards tradition and religiosity. Men like Jonathan Edwards or a, or a Billy Graham who, you know, would preach to, to millions of non-believers the Tyndales of the world, the Wycliffs who would be involved in Bible translation so that people could read the Bible in their, in their own language. And that's great influencing. That's inspirational. But we look and we go, look, I'm, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Billy Graham. Um, so, you know, what am I going to do? I, I'm not, you know, I'm not Martin Luther. So uh, how's this going to work out? But I'm here to say that we do fit in. And in Matthew 
chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, we're going to see an exhortation and a call to you, to me, to, to us. And today we're going to see two powerful ways that, that you are called to be an influencer in this world. Just, just little old you. And the two ways are your call to be the salt of the earth and your call to be the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. Before we dive into this, again, I want, to, you know, want you to think about a couple names. Harry Monroe and Mordecai Ham. Harry Monroe and Mordecai Ham. Does anybody know who those guys are? I didn't think so. I didn't. So no shame there. Now, we all know who Billy Sunday and Billy Graham are. Again, two prominent evangelical preachers of the gospel who were involved in the transformation of, of souls and lives for the, the kingdom of Christ. But those other two guys are the guys that led them to the Lord. And we don't know their names. We don't know much about them other than they're the other guys made sure to give them honor. But Harry Monroe and Mordecai Ham did something that was amazing. They were lights. They were salt. You know, I think of the, the Hannah and the Elizabeth and the Zacharias, the parents of, you know, of, of prophets, the, parent, the parents of, of men in the Bible who, who would be forerunners to, to, to Christ. And so let's look at the first call to be an influencer. The first call to be an influencer is be the salt of the earth. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled and trampled under the foot of men. Well, what, is, what does this mean? First of all, we really want to pay attention to the first word, you. Th this isn't one of those, you know, third person plurals like, uh, just kind of generically, y'all, you know, and I think they do it better in the South because you kind of know immediately like y'all is just everybody where you is you. Um, but in the, in, the, in the context here, in the grammar here, we see that the you is that second, pers that second person plural noun. The you is you. So when this is being written, this is speaking to you. Now, the Bible is always speaking to you, but sometimes, we, um, sometimes we're reading a historical narrative when it's addressing others, and, and then we take the, the you as the personal application. But this specifically is Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount speaking to the audience, telling them, listen, you are the salt of the earth. Again, that's a remarkable thing to say because who's rolling around the face of the earth at this time? We got John the Baptist out there and Jesus. Do we need me? I mean, we got John the Baptist and Jesus, you know, so, so you don't really need to do the heavy lifting, right? And we, we've, we've, got, we've got the two best. We've got two Hall of Famers. Uh, they have also are going to have the 12 disciples, they're also going to have people who are going to walk and follow Jesus, the, the inner circle of the 50 to the 100. And so one could say, well, you know what? We, we don't need you. 
we have other people, people getting paid, people who are, who are the professionals or in ministry or heard the calling. And Jesus makes it clear here, no, no, no. You, you, you. And so you and me and we, we're, we're called to something. Well, what is that? It's to be the salt of the earth. To be the salt of the earth. Well, what, what does that mean? We're going into a, a, a picture, right? A, a, an allegory here. Well, what, what's the salt? What is salt? Well, salt is, has a lot of different meanings. And we know here that this simile, it's a comparison, right? When you, you know, be like, you know, be like salt. Uh, well, first we understand that this is a direct function of, of, of influence. And it's going to be an expression of our Christian character. And so as Christians, we're called to be like salt. Well, what are some of the, uh, our understanding of salt? Remember, we got we to gotta take the time and the place and the context of the people at the time that Jesus is speaking to, them and their understanding of the usefulness and the purpose and what salt is. And one of the first things we see is salt had, had, had an extremely high value during this time. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, first of all, you know, we, we have terms, you know, that, that are like, you know, you're, you're the... You're the salt of the earth. Well, that's a great, a, a, a great, um, you know, just way of, of, of showing somebody that, wow, you're, you're an awesome person. What a compliment. What a great compliment. You're the, the salt of the earth. You're just like, like a normal person that everybody likes, that, everybody, that, that adds to the benefit and the blessing of others. That, wow, that's what a value. That's, a, that's an awesome person. But there's also another value, and, and we know that the Roman soldiers of the day, that they were paid this thing called a stipidium. Does that bring any bells? It's, that's where we get the word stipend from, which was their pay. Now, the Roman soldiers did get coins and they did get paid, but they would also get like, you know, a bonus check, you know, or a, or, or add on things that were like, well, here, here's a, here's a company perk. And one of their perks, one of the ways that they showed value to the Roman soldiers was giving them salt. Now, I know I've been a salesman. I know other salesmen. And, you know, if at the end of the, of the month, you know, you just broke some records and you crushed some sales goals and the guy comes in and says, all right, you know, here's your bag of salt. He'd be like, you'd probably throw it at him, right? It's like, hmm, bag of salt. Well, the Romans were paid in salt as, as part of that kind of bonus. Now, it showed that it, it, it had value. Now, on the flip side, that's where we started getting the phrase, you're not worth your salt. You're, you're not worth your payment. You're not worth, like, even me paying you in salt. So you could use that as with your sales guys, your sales team. It's like, you know what? If you perform like this again, you, I wouldn't even pay you in salt, much less a check. Um, see how that flies. But the other thing we see is, and we're very, very familiar with, but salt is flavor, right? Salt is fa flavor. It, it, it takes tasteless food. You know, we're, you know, overnight crock potting and, you know, here's some, some uh, some meat in the crock pot and it, it's just you know I don't know what it's doing in there it's boiling or whatever and then the next morning it comes out and it's like you know well look, taste it and it's like hmm man, it's it's meat right it's it's hot meat 
Okay, but it doesn't get flavor until you start adding stuff like first thing, salt, right? So salt brings flavor and it alters the chemical composition. And, and I don't know the science of food, but it's incredibly interesting. Now, there's some guys on the Food Network that really explain that, but, but we, we love how salt infuses together with things and, and it makes our French fries oh so much better you know, in our chips and we put on meat and it's a fusion of flavor and it's an explosion and it's awesome. The contrast to that is it's not, it, 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 we don't just like suck on salt sticks, right? Where it's just kind of that sour, you know, taste. It, it's no, as, as Christians, we, we, we want to bring flavor, right? Bring, bring the joy of the food and, and bring out you know, that piece, not like be sour, you know, Christians that everybody, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to talk to that, that person. They, they bring me down. You want to be, be winsome, have that kind of winsome fusion in your life. Salt also does things like, you know, have you ever had an open wound to put salt in it? You know, it'll, it'll heal it, but it also stings like the Dickens, right? Um, It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but it heals. It kind of has that idea of it's painful, but it's good for you. I don't want to hear the truth, but I need to hear the truth. It's hard to confront sin, but you need to confront sin. I was listening to this um, documentary and, you know, this famous preacher and, and, and he refuses to, to say sin. He's like, well, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, that word. I'm like, you got to be kidding me crazy well-known person um no we 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 say the painful truth this is a sinful activity the wages of sin is death you need to repent and and jesus has provided a way of a state of of escape and provided a a covering and loves and shows grace and mercy but you got to confess your sin you have to repent right we don't hide from that truth we we confront it direct directly and it's it stings a little bit uh, salt also causes, it, it causes thirst. Uh, it makes the body like crave. It makes anything crave and desire uh, water, even plants. It, it like you, you put salt on, on the grass and, and it, the, the composition of that and the, and the plants wanting the water is what actually will end up killing the, the grass because they can't get the water. It takes all the water out and, and it's very interesting. Uh, we see things like, you know, if you want to prevent dehydration, you, you'll take these salt tablets. And so there's a lot of like things going on with the molecules uh, of salt. And here, here's Jesus saying, you need to be salt. It's like, hmm, it's so interesting. Uh, salt causes that thirst. And ironically, Jesus, just a few verses earlier in this chapter, right, says, says he says what? We're called to hunger and thirst in verse 6 Matthew 5 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness we talked about that last week and so the kind of saltiness part of saltiness is inspiring this hunger and thirst to be righteous that's a good thing that's a great thing we know that that salt is a is a is a major player in uh, preservation of, of things like meat. In fact, back in the old times, back in, in the day of, of the New Testament and the Romans, they didn't have freezers, 
where you could like, you know, you know, flash freeze something or put it in a, in a you know, a packs of ice. No, what they would do is they would actually pack it in salt. And again, because of that chemical composition of what salt does with water in it, what it would do is, is it would keep the, the, the coldness in that meat for a longer period of time, which would then keep it from spoiling. This is really the ultimate process of like how you get beef jerky, right? You just take all the kind of the juices out. And again, I'm not an expert in how, you, how they do that. I just know it's delicious and it's done. Um, salt melts. Again, salt melts. You, you know, you, you salt the roads to, to melt the ice. At, at 32 degrees, um, the, the water stops flowing free. And so the ice actually prevents the molecules from clustering together, which then forms that, that ice pack. And so the ice keeps it separated. It's very fascinating. So it, it melts. I mentioned earlier that, that it will also be a killer. So if you want to help kill your grass, you know, throw, throw your salt out there. Now, what would happen back then is, well, they didn't have like Johnson's hardware. You know, where you had like, you know, different. So I, I can go to Johnson's Hardware and get like foam, you know, the foam spray that'll like fill the gaps. And so you, you just fill the gaps in your, you know, fix your like kind of around your plumbing. But they have different applications, different flavors. Well, not necessarily different flavors, but different flavors for, for rats and mice. And so you don't just put the foam that'll just kind of cover the hole in your piping between your pipe and, and the hole in the floor in your wood, you have to put like a special one there that actually has poison in it so that it'll kill the mice or the rats. So, so it, it, it's, that's what we would use today. And we can go to Johnson, have five different applications for a bag of salt or, or, or a can of foam. They didn't have that. You would use everything that you own, right? So when you had salt and you had like leftover salt, and what are you going to do with it? You don't, you know, you use it. Oh, this is how I'll throw it on my pathway or in my garden or on the roadside. And so that was a very common use of, of kind of an additional use for salt. And so the idea here, when we see you're supposed to be the light or, or the salt of the earth, uh, not to be just like thrown out and trampled by the foot of men. You see, that's where that, that connection is. So which one is it when it says you're to be the salt of the earth? You know, does that mean we're, you know, we're like, you know, supposed to go get like, you know, special outfits that, you know, like, like a, um, a mascot, you know, a salt mascot. And it's like, I'm Mr. Salty, you know, and what does that represent? Well, we thank the Lord, we, we get a tip off. We get a tip off of specifically um, what the Lord means here. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? So, so we know directly the tip off is the specific example here has to do with a warning of tastelessness. Okay, so it has to do with taste. So there's a warning here that the salt can become tasteless. This delicious, amazing salt that can do all kinds of things, add to any meal that you, that's ever been made, soup, eggs, whatever. Uh, it can become to where there's no flavor. There's no taste. And then here's the warning. 
how will it come back? It's not going to come back. Once that, that pop is gone, it's gone. Immediately, it reminded me of, of gum. I used to love chewing gum, especially playing baseball. Just gum, 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 right? Just couldn't get enough gum. But what's the problem with gum? It loses its flavor. So you had, you know, they, they're geniuses of gum making. So we'll, we'll make things like Bubblicious. And it's, what a great name, right? Do bubbles and it's delicious. Bubblicious. Would have loved to have been around that board meeting. But Bubblicious was definitely the best. It was big. It was juicy. It kept the juice in there longer. But I don't care if it's Bubblicious or Bazooka. The juice runs out. And what do you do? Take it out, you throw it away, and you get a new one, right? Because it's become tasteless. When it's become tasteless and it's lost its flavor, it no longer has any use. Well, what's this idea of tasteless we see here in verse 13? This is where, you know, understanding some Hebrew and Greek becomes uh, very important because this word tasteless sounds pretty straightforward and obvious. But it comes from the Greek word moroha he know. Moraha he know. Moron is what it looks like when you see the transliteration. Moron. Anybody hear that word? When you become tasteless, you are a moron. That's interesting. What's the connection? What's the correlation? Well, the, in the Greek, the, the moronic, or the, this word is also used in other passages as foolish. Foolishness. That's where we really cling to it, right? Oh, when we think somebody's foolish or acting, acting the fool, we would say that's, that's moronic. Well, here it's, well, you, you've, you, you, you've become tasteless. You, you're, you're a fool. You, you've, you've lost, um, you know, the, 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 the purpose of, of having any use. No one has a use for someone who's being a moron, right? Especially when they do it on purpose. So our first call to being an influencer is being the salt of the earth. And God, God has chosen us. God has, has saved us and saved us for a specific purpose, not to be sour, not to be surly, not to be moronic, but we are called to be the flavor, to, to take something bitter and sour and to turn it into something delicious and, and explosive and joyful. Isn't that cool? And how is this done? What does this mean for you? Does this mean you have to be Billy Graham? No, it doesn't mean you're Billy Graham. But it does mean that God has made you for a purpose and that God has made you to, to be a fusion of influence. And it reminded me immediately of, of Eric Liddell, who I named my son Caleb. His middle name is Liddell. And, and in the famous movie, Chariots of Fire, when they, they, they show the movie of this he'll become a famous preacher, but most well known as being a gold medal runner in, in the Olympics. And, and at one point of the movie, my favorite part of the movie, and he's, he's challenged by his sister whether or not he should be in full-time ministry or go to the Olympics. And, and what he's trying to explain to her is, look, I, I can do both. And, and the two don't contradict each other. 
my, my purpose in glorifying the Lord is also directly tied into this thing that I do. For him, it was running. Oh, thank the Lord, my gift wasn't running. I don't like running. No offense. Um, but Eric Liddell says in this impactful moment to his sister, look, you don't understand because she wants him to just quit running and just go to the mission field. Sounds noble. He says, you don't understand. God made me for a purpose. He made me for a purpose. And he knew that purpose was the ministry in China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so what's he saying? I run for me. I run for glory. I run for gold medals. I run for Great Britain. No, what he was saying is, when I run, I feel the pleasure of bringing about the glory of God. And from that moment forward to this day, Eric Liddell is known as the runner who refused to run on Sunday to win what looked like an obvious gold medal. And he refused to do that for his God so that his God would be glorified forever. We don't know much about what he did on the mission field in China. We don't know much about his sermons. We don't know much about his books. But we know that event and that ended up being the way that he was the salt of the earth. So don't let your fire, don't let your passion lose flavor. Don't quit. Don't accept defeat. Don't stop fighting sin. Keep fighting. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Don't become tasteless. Don't let that fire fizzle out. Well, the second call to be an influencer is we're called to be the light of the world, the light of the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may be seen, that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. The second simile we see to express how you are supposed to be an influencer is you're supposed to be like light, like light. What kind of light? An illuminating light, a, a light sit on a, set on a hill, a, 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 a tower, right? A, a, a light that, that is going to project like a watchtower light, not just like a little, little flicker. Like it on the hillside. That's what we do. We put watchtower lights on hillsides. Why? So that everybody can see it. So that it has its ultimate chance of, of spreading out. So we see the exhortations throughout Scripture, 1 John 1, 5 through 7, that we're called to walk in the light. Psalm 119, 105 very famous, that, that, that God's word is a lamp unto our feet so that, and it lights the path so that we might not sin against thee, right? So this light shows us the right path, the right direction, the right way to walk so that we may not sin. And we're called to walk in the light, not in the darkness. John 8, 12 says we're to follow Jesus out of the darkness, 
How do we know which way to go? How do we know what, what, what way is the right way? We follow the light. We follow the light of Jesus. We follow his path. We see the opposite picture of this. And when Jesus looks to the Pharisees and says, you are blind guides. So you're leading people and walking the people around in darkness. Jesus is the light. He, he, he enlightens man. He wants us, for, for John 1, 9, he wants us to be enlightened. He wants us, you're going to like this word. Well, probably not, actually. He wants us to be woke. Not woke of the world. Not the lie that the world has said. He wants us to really be awake. Really have our eyes wide open. He wants us to be aware of, of, of the truth that's only found in the word of God. He wants us to be aware that there's an enemy, the devil, right? He wants us to be aware that there's a right way and a wrong way. He wants us to follow the light and to be truly enlightened, not by the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of mankind, but God's wisdom. And so, verse 14, you are to be the light of the world. A, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So the idea is you're called to be somebody that projects light that like everybody can see. So if there was a hill, we got a little hill over here in Black Diamond. So if you stood on the top of the hill, everybody at Four Corners, when you stood there, could see your light. Um, John Winthrop used this as, as part of the, the hallmark. It really, it was a warning to America because most of the th original 13 colonies were founded by religious people, were founded by, by men who wanted to, to worship freely. And not only would they... they you know, found the individual states, but they would, you know, plant seminaries. And one of them was a guy named John Winthrop. He was a English Puritan from Boston, Massachusetts and New England. And he was the first governor there. In fact, they have a university named after John Winthrop. And one of his famous sayings was America needs to be a city on a hill. He actually meant that as a warning. Because he was saying, look, we are a city on a hill. The world is going to be watching us. So, so do it right. And, and that's our exhortation. Look, whether you like it or not, you are a light. You, you are being seen. Um, you can't hide it. You, you may want to. You may try, but, but you can't. And so are, are you a flicker of light or are you a watchtower? that can be seen from 28 miles away. And what does that light do? That, that's like that, that lighthouse that's on the coast and spreads light for 28 miles. For 28 miles, a ship is at sea trying to find its way home. Its safety is once it sees that light, now it knows there's my path. Stay on the path. Stay true to the path. Stay in the word of God. Thy word is lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? And so this is the picture that, that we're being told that we're lights. We're lights. How far would your light extend? Our light saves lives. By, not because I say lives or you save lives, but the, the path saves lives. That light is directing people directly to 
the word of God to keep people on the straight and narrow. We see here that it's, it's not to be uh, put under uh, the peck measure. The peck measure was like a basket, okay? So it's the idea of here's my little light and then I'm going to put a bat. What happens when you put a basket over a light? It covers it. You can't see it. No, in fact, you're not supposed to be under the peck measure, but on a lamp stand. So you have the, the post that, that holds up like this, right? And it's, it, it's light so that more people can see it. You're, you're leading. You're, you're kind of leading that, that charge. That's what we're called to be. Don't hide it. Hide it under a bushel? No. No. You're the light of the world. Set on a city, set on a hill. Cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Well, when I was reading that, and I was reminded last week, we just studied the beginning of the Beatitudes, and we just studied the beginning of these blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are those who, who receive insults on account of God. That's our light. When those things and those events are happening, the light is, that's our light. Let that light shine, right? So that what are they going to, so when, when we're poor in spirit and mourn and, and gentle and hunger and thirst for righteousness, so people will see the kingdom of heaven. They'll, they too will see our comfort. They will see our strength. They will see our mercy. They will see God. But see, we have a twisted idea of what real influencing is. We, we think it's being, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and having muscles that, you know, come out of your, you know, the back of your head, you know, or being a great singer or being beautiful. That, that's not how we're called to influence. We're called to influence and directly coming out of the beginning of the Beatitudes of, listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. You're going to mourn. You're going to have struggle. But let your light shine in such a way that men see your good works. Don't hide it. I remember my, 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 my first year <clears throat> at the Master's College. And it, and it, was, it was rough because, you know, I was a new believer. And uh, everybody there, you know, were Christians. The dogs were Christians. Uh, you know, everybody was a Christian. And, you know, and it's like I, there, there was this tension between... Uh, my pride, like I, 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 I'm not a choir boy. I, I don't sing hymns, you know, by memory. I don't, I don't wear, you know, slacks and collared shirts. And, and so at the, you know, I, I don't want to be like those guys are kind of namby pamby, you know, I'm a man, I'm an athlete, I'm a jock. And so there was that tension that, that pride that was there. And, and so w what was happening was, well, I'm, I'm kind of halfway in and halfway out. I, I know I need the Lord. I know I need Jesus. I know I need to repent. I know uh, I'm a dog, but I don't want to be like those guys. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pit bull, but do, do I have to be like a Pomeranian? You know, do I have to be like reshaped into, into you know, like a poodle? Can I be like a cool dog? 
And, and so I was hiding my light under a bushel. And I remember being at a baseball Bible study and, and reading this passage for the first time. And it just cut me to the narrow when it said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's like my whole Christian, I'm hiding my light. And then it just yelled out at me. Lights don't talk. Lights don't make noise. If you asked me, if you talked to me, I would hear this all the time. That Tony, he's all right. He's okay. Guy has great testimony. He loves Jesus. I like that guy. But you wouldn't get that if you didn't talk to me. I had no light. There was no light. And, and I was confronted by that. And, and that began my transformation, the process of, of, of me letting my light shine. Um, the cool thing is there are a couple people and I still see them to this day about every five years. And, you know, my former RD and I'll run into him at, at, at Grace Community Church or Shepherd's Conference and, and he'll look at me and, you know, and I can see it in his eyes. He's just like, he, he's just so, so grateful of what the Lord has done in my life. And it's like, just imagine how God looks at us, right? How God looks and says, you've come a long way. You've come a long way. Um, talks about good works. Well, remember, we were just talking about good works in, in Matthew 4. What, what are we talking about? We're, again, we're talking about being like Jesus. You know, repent. Stop doing the wicked, evil things that you're doing. Stop doing it. Instead, why don't you spend your time involved in following Jesus and, and getting involved in the mercy missions, right? For Jesus and in Matthew 4, you know, he was healing and every kind of disease and sickness and uh, pains and demonics and that kind of thing. And so, so let your light shine in such a way that men may see your good works. People should see the things that you do. That's okay. That's not bragging. It, it should just be an outflowing of your heart that now that you, you have a love for Jesus, you want to be like Jesus. It, it's not for yourself. You do it because you, you love Jesus. And so you want to be a fisher of men to save souls because you don't want to see anybody go to hell. You're on the same mission that Jesus is on to seek and save the lost, right? You want to be like Jesus. The problem is so many of us now, and when I say us, now I'm talking about preachers. I'm talking about, about pastors and stuff that are more concerned with being famous. I think I mentioned this before that there's, there's websites and stuff with preachers and sneakers, and they compare like, you know, this guy's got $1,000 sneakers and this guy's got $500 sneakers. And it's like, what does it have to do with glorifying God? That's just pointing the picture at yourself so that you're an influencer like the world, right? The world wants to influence in any way they can. If I can be the shoe guy and, and get a bunch of people that like me, great, I'll be a shoe guy. Um, no, we're not called to draw attention to ourselves with this light. We're not called to seek our own glory. What we do is about his glory, his majesty, his power. So let your light shine. Let it shine brightly. Be a, 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 a beacon that goes out 28 miles, 50 miles. Hey, for us, it can go beyond the outer parts of the world, right? We're on a mission to influence for the gospel of grace, for the gospel of grace. Well, 
These are just two, just two. There's other examples, but right here, and again, we're we're starting the the preaching part of Jesus's ministry. We're starting the Beatitudes, and right away, he he gives us these two amazing pictures of, of how we are also involved in this awesome mission. And so. People who love Jesus find ways to influence. They find bunkhouse ministries because they love Jesus and they want to see people have homes. They do midwifing ministries. Why? Because still the most dangerous thing in the world that a woman can do is give birth when you're not in a hospital. So they have ministries for that. They have cleft palate guys that go and fix cleft palates and people that, that bring glasses to, to villages and all kinds of different ministries. And maybe you're not going to be the YMCA ministry or the, the Red Cross that everybody knows or the mission. But again, you, you just, you be Harry Monroe. You be Mordecai Ham. You, you, you just be one that, you know what? You, you serve your home. It all starts with your house and your husband and wife and your children and your friendships and family and, and let it expand from there. That's how we're, Kind of like that, that light of the world, a city set upon a hill. Um, turn back with me to Psalm 34. We opened our reading with Psalm 34, and I want to close with that. Psalm 34. I remember at Faithful Central, the worship pastor getting up before we were uh, singing, and he said, Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And I heard that and I thought, what? He, did he misspeak? Come and taste? And I remember that like stuck with me and I went back to my dorm room that night and I had to like, you know, we didn't have like the internet where you could just like pop that in and it took me forever to find it. But, but Psalm 34, 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste, taste it. Think of Costco, right? You go to Costco and they're here, taste this. Try this, just a little, just, just a little bit. If you take a bite of this, you're going to buy a whole case of it, right? Well, that's the idea. You know what? God is so good, so good. Just, just come and taste, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, we're a part of that process. We're called to be the salt and the light. We're called to be a great taste. Are we a great taste or are we sour? Are we a light or are we darkness? And so we are called to be the light and the dark. And what a, what, a, what a great thing that we're able to join in this mercy mission with our Lord and Savior, just like others poured into our lives and others were salt for us and others were light for us. And, and those people, sometimes we can name those people, sometimes we can't, but all those people had an impact for the glory of God. What a beautiful thing. Let me pray.